0: Will you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 2 as we continue our teaching series, The Greatest Christmas Ever? And I'm excited to be back with you all after having a vital organ removed last week, had my appendix taken out, and uh, some of you don't think that that's vital. Will you go through the surgery then? We'll see how you like it, but uh, thanks for letting me get away for that week, Darren did, a fantastic job last week, didn't he, for sharing teaching on Oikos, kicking off this teaching series. And we're going to kind of build off of that. Um, I got to say this, though thank you to so many of us for praying for us over the last week and stuff. And for the many meals that were brought to our house, we have never eaten so well as we did last week. I'm thinking about having my gallbladder removed <laughs> just so you will bring more food. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2 this morning and a story that I'm familiar with but I've never taught on. And to be honest, I was, so we were going to preach on something else this week. And, uh, you know, anytime you go into surgery, even if it's a non-vital organ, uh, you begin to pray a little more before you go in there. You've, you've done that before? And I really felt led to, to share this Uh, The reality was um, I did another funeral for a 20-something this last week. Uh, It's about the third or fourth uh, I've been around uh, in the last two or three years. And so I just really felt led to, to share this message with you. And so wherever you're at spiritually, man, thank you for coming. We started this church five years ago with the intention that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so we are honored you took time out of your busy weekend to come and be with us. And it's not so nice outside, and you still made it here this morning at 1025. Thank you, guys. And we're going to ask God to bless this time and to speak to us. In Matthew chapter 2, we get the story of the Magi. Anybody heard this story before? You're familiar with the Magi, and you know about the three dudes that bring these gifts. Only that's not what the Bible says. We're going to talk about what it actually says, and we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 2. So put your hands together. Welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet. We're glad you're here as well and hope you connect to God right where you were at. I'm super pumped to share this message. It is near to my soul this morning, and I want to tell you I was reflecting um, over the last few years all that God has done in the church. And this little Bible study started in our house, uh, originally with just three people, and it, it's grown to reach a lot of people, and it's because of the power of Jesus Christ. And um, I was reflecting on that, and how even just a few years ago, there weren't many people on our staff yet, and we took, uh, we did a staff training in downtown Indianapolis, and after the training, we went and sat in the cheap seats for a Pacers game, and I don't remember who they were playing, but it must have been somebody big, because Justin Timberlake was There! Anybody remember when he did his concert at Baker's Life Fieldhouse? Some of you went to that guy. I know you did, some of you. And you ladies, you were screaming. He went to the Pacers game the night before. And we were sitting in the cheap seats way up in the balcony in a corner. And a good friend of mine named Becca Berry was there with us. And she's a Justin Timberlake fan. And so Justin gets up and he walks away from courtside seats right before the halftime so he can avoid the crowd. And as he's walking out, uh, Becca yells from the cheap seats, Justin! I was like embarrassed, but she did not stop. This is the first time she had been in the presence of JT, and she was not gonna allow a few hundred feet to separate her from her moment. Justin, I love you! (laughs) And I promise you this is true. In Baker's Line, he heard her all the way up in the balcony. He stops and gives her a point. And then walks out of the field house. This morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to seize the moment in your life. Now, some of you may be JT fans, but we got something even more important to seize this season in particular. And you ever notice how quickly life moves? How fast the Christmas season is here and then gone? The Bible actually teaches how short life is and time is always moving. We've got some visuals to remind you that as you go home this morning to think about how much time that you have. So I want to ask you that question, how much time do you have? I'm going to read Matthew chapter two now. We're going to ask God to speak to us through this. And it's just some things that have been on my heart after reading this passage that I never noticed before. It may mean nothing to you, but it meant something to me and I hope God uses it. Here we go. Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse one after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. He wasn't a great king. He didn't have a ton of power. He was just the Jewish ruling authority, even though the Romans were in control. It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Some of you know him as the wise men. These were astronomers who studied the stars and astrologers who also studied their horoscope. And these pagan worshipers were, had been studying the, the stars and discovered an anomaly that they were coming to check out. Now, most likely, I'll talk a little bit later, that these were not necessarily of Jewish descent. It says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod didn't even know. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, he cites Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Hundreds of years before, God had used the prophet Micah to declare where the Messiah was going to be born, and it was going to be in Bethlehem. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from from them the exact time the star had appeared. The first Christmas story was time-sensitive. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Will you pray with me? God, as we study these eight verses and the four or five that follow after it in Matthew chapter two, I pray that your holy scriptures would speak to us right where we're at spiritually. Some of us, we've been Christians a really long time, and we go through the season and it comes and goes so quickly, and we get a lot of stuff accomplished. We we purchase a lot of presents, we get to hang out with family and friends, we get a break from our jobs. God, I pray that you give us fresh eyes at the first Christmas this morning, how right after that, the glory that's going to be revealed even to these pagan men. God, may you speak to our souls. For some of us maybe that came in here and it's our first time in a church facility in a really long time or ever, and we're we're not even Christian yet, God, we welcome everyone into the space and we ask that you would speak directly to us, whether we're here live or watching online. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit and we surrender this moment to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen, amen. Do we have any uh, time Nazis in the room? You are always a stickler. If you're not early, you're late. Okay, yeah, and how many of you, if we're honest this morning, you have a little trouble being on time places? Anybody out there, you have a little trouble? Raise the hands of some in your family uh, that you have a little trouble being on time. People often ask, what happened in Mercy Road to have all this occur over the last five years? And I've credited a lot of it to a great man named Eric Maitland, who was up here in his Canadian suit leading worship for us this morning. It's incredible. But people often, I asked for permission to share this this morning, people often give him a hard time for being late places. I just say God wasn't needing him there yet. and He's wanted to make an appearance. But it's something that happened early on when there were 75 people in our church. You think you got it bad. One Sunday morning, uh, we are at Clay Middle School in Carl, This is a true story. I just got to share this. I don't normally share stories like this, but I just think it's really funny. So we're getting ready to start. The countdown clock goes down to zero, and uh, we're waiting to start leading worship, and Eric's not on the stage. So I was like, guys, where's where's Eric? Let's restart the countdown clock. We restart it again. I'm looking for him. We can't find him. We restart that countdown clock like two or three different times, which you know I don't do. And so then I'm like, guys, something must have happened to Eric. They realized what a talented worship leader he was and they wanted to take him out. Something occurred. So I'm I'm running around the building looking for him. He's not in the kids area. And then some of you that know him well guessed it. Um, I went to this one room, the, the restroom. And as I was approaching it, I won't get into details, but I saw the bottoms of his shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Are we all on the same page? Okay. So the entire worship service was delayed five minutes and Eric is now in the restroom and I'm waiting on him. And so I'm standing at the door going, Eric, you got to get in here. we got to hurry up. We're running out of time. People aren't going to find Jesus. They're going to go to hell. you got to hurry up and get in here. And he comes out of there. And I've loved Eric's attitude, not in that moment, but in all other moments has always been that he is present with the Lord wherever he is. And apparently in that moment, he was present there. And I share that with you because I often think that for many of us, when it comes to we feel like we never have enough time to accomplish the things we really want to desire in life, and Darren comes in here and preaches his guts out last Sunday. And I told my wife, I'm not sure that God didn't take my appendix out just so that Darren could preach because he wasn't supposed to preach last Sunday. And it just really hit me hard. He's given a lot of great messages, but that was my favorite one he's ever shared. And when it got done I began to think about it and pray and I was realizing that so many of us talk about our oikos the 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence and we want to live out and reach those people we want our life to leave a legacy to do something and yet we're all so busy and we can never seem to make time and prioritize some of those things in our lives. And we find ourselves always running late to the things that God set before us. You've been there I'm not pointing any fingers feel that way sometimes. And so as I was studying for this message, I was thinking about the Magi and here's a group of men who I'll describe in a moment who basically left everything because they believed that the Messiah was going to be born and they had to go worship him. So this Christmas, if you want to seize the moment like Becca Berry when JT's in the stadium and you want to make the most of this Christmas season, here are the three ways to utilize the time that you've been given to have the best Christmas ever. Number one, you got to risk it. You got to risk something. Following Jesus comes at a cost. Not just talking about Finances. Following Jesus comes at a cost, and the Magi, that first Christmas, were willing to risk everything. You see, traditionally, we think of these as three ethnically diverse uh, men, three wise men, you've heard the story before, that traveled there that day. I've got a picture of what they may have looked like according to later Christian tradition. The reality is that's probably not accurate. They, the Bible, if you notice there, never said there was three people. It said there were three gifts. We're not sure how many wise magi there were, but the magi were essentially astronomers and astrologers who were of Semitic descent. That means their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Shem, just like the Israelites, but they were not Jewish. Most likely, they came from the east, the passage said. They were either of Parthenian or Babylonian origin. We know in uh, Daniel, in the Old Testament, in chapter 6, it refers to the magi in Babylonia. And so in Babylon, so they are coming from the east and in that community, most likely they were not of Jewish descent. These were essentially people that checked their horoscope and the stars to hear from God. These were the pagans. These are the people that the Jewish community didn't think much of. And maybe for some of you that you kind of feel far from God and you came into a place like this and you're like, man, I don't fit in. Those first magi leave everything they've known. They leave their homeland. If they had families, they leave their families. And they travel all the way during a difficult time to travel just to get to this place to worship a the Messiah they don't even know. In fact, if you look at verses 1 and 2 in the passage, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi, learned men, it's where we get the word magic or magicians from, It's essentially ancient scientists in that sense from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. So at least at this point, later on in verse nine, it moves towards Bethlehem. But at least at this point, the star had not gotten in a position. They knew where to find him. So they just show up in Jerusalem thinking they'll tell us. Only what they don't know is that King Herod wants this Messiah dead because there's only one king in town. And so they find themselves interacting with Herod there, and eventually their lives are going to be at stake because of it. And these people that the Jewish community probably wouldn't have looked fondly upon, in fact, Philo, a philosopher, referred to them as scorpions, referred to them as vipers. These were the type of people they were known for being. I want to take a side note for just a second, because I think this is really important to my atheist and agnostic friends, and we've seen a number of you join our community over the years. Some of you surrender your life to Christ and grow in faith now, and you believe in Jesus and been baptized, and it's awesome. That's how God works, and he loves you right where you are. But the idea that uh, faith and science, we want to separate those two, both in the Christian community with my Christian friends and with my atheist friends, um, historically, that hasn't been the case. In fact, I would argue that Christianity and the monotheistic faith laid a lot of the healthy groundwork that enabled scientific discovery because you were allowed to actually experiment on things in our world because there wasn't a god or goddess of every tree or rock or being. All that aside, it was Albert Einstein who actually said that there shouldn't be a conflict between uh, our faith and science. He writes this, a legitimate conflict between science and religion can not exist, This is Albert Einstein. He goes on to say, science without religion is lame. Not that it's not cool. It doesn't have legs. It can't walk. It doesn't work. Religion without science is blind. These magi had studied the stars and their scientific discovery is actually what led them to come there and to discover the reality of Jesus and eventually to worship him. In fact, a little side note again, many of the great scientists throughout human history actually had a belief in God. I'll name just a few. Copernicus believed in him. Galileo believed in him. Johannes Kepler believed in him. And one of my favorite, you should love him, James Simpson. Anybody ever heard of James Simpson before? Okay, one. Connor, thank you. Uh, My mentor used to talk about All of you should love James Simpson. I loved him a week and a half ago. You know why? Because he discovered anesthesiology. (laughs) Who's glad that James Simpson existed? He discovered that, his great scientific discovery, but what he claimed was the most important discovery I ever made, he said, is when I discovered Jesus Christ. Even in modern times, Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project, is a devout follower of Jesus that the magi, these learned men, these ancient astronomers, it was their scientific discovery that led them there on that day to discover Jesus. Why? Because God isn't just the God that we read about in the Bible. God is the God of the universe. And just to show off when Jesus is born into the world, he creates this astronomical anomaly that just points to the place of his birth. How cool is that? And so there are three ways to have the best Christmas ever this year. And the first one is to risk it like the Magi because their discovery led them to put everything else aside and orient their life, their time, their talents, their treasures around coming to worship Jesus. In fact, this is something around the world they still celebrate today. Anybody ever hear of Epiphany? I, you don't hear about it much, but in other Christian cultures, they will actually celebrate Epiphany on January 5th or 6th. Uh, for you history buffs, here's a little side note: that was to remember when the Magi came and worshipped him. and It was worship of him as Son of God and his divinity. It's why it's called the Epiphany, and it happens 12 days after Christmas. Have you ever heard the 12 days of Christmas before? That is the period of time between Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and the Epiphany. How many of you like to leave your Christmas decorations up until like uh, Valentine's Day? Any of you out there? What's wrong with you people? It's actually, uh, this is just superstition, but they consider it unlucky in those cultures that celebrate Epiphany if you still have your Christmas decorations up then. So take those suckers down. We don't all want to look at them anymore. I'm just kidding. You can put them up if you want, but just not around my house, so that's cool. The the 12 days of Christmas came as they celebrated and remembered the Magi would come. But here's the thing, these great learned men who risked everything, could you imagine what that would have been like? Hey, honey, by the way, I'm going to leave for a few weeks. I'm going to travel to a land I don't know anybody because I believe the stars are telling me that a king is going to be born and I need to go give him some gifts and worship him. I have trouble sometimes following Jesus when my kids are grumpy or I had a late night. Sometimes I have difficulty following Jesus because I just don't want to. And these pagan men drop everything and they travel to the West just to worship him and even their lives will be at stake. I want that type of passion. That's how this church went from this little Bible study to what it is today. And there was... One of those three first people that joined our our group, our church, was not a Christian, and today he is. And he's worshiping with us this Sunday morning. Like that's how God works. Just like these men discovered him. Number two, if you're taking notes, I'll move quickly now that if you want to have the greatest Christmas ever, you gotta risk it. And then you gotta realize that the time is now. You see, in verse 7, it said, Then Herod called the Magi secretly. I found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. It was time sensitive. The magi couldn't sit around and go, hey, look at that. That's really cool. We should all study it for a few years and then get back together and talk about going. To... They had to leave. The time was then. They had to go now. And I don't know about you. You'd be Christian long enough. And it's very easy to slowly, over time, become complacent about things and Christmas season comes and goes, and the clock keeps turning, and this Christmas will happen, and then the next Christmas will happen, and then the next one, and I never seem to really orient my life to risk it and realize the time is now to invest in those of my sphere of influence that I can talk about it all at once. I can hear all the sermons in the world, but if I don't allow the power of Jesus Christ to live out in my life, I'm going to miss out I'm going to miss out on this little blip on the map, a little dot on a long line of eternity that God has gifted me with that we call life. It was in Psalm 39, verses four and five, that the psalmist writes, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days, and let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth; The span of my years is nothing before you. Every one is but a breath. Even those who seem secure. It seems like one day you're born and you wake up and you grow and you learn some things and then you hit adolescence and then you go and you chase your career, whatever that is, and some people end up finding a spouse and they have kids and those kids have kids and then poof, it's gone. The psalmist says life is like a breath. It's here one day and poof, that was it. The only thing the human beings will remember for all of human history about the magi in the Bible is that they left everything they knew just to go worship Jesus. Everything else they spent their entire life churning at, nobody remembers. And it's sometimes, it's the difficult things, sometimes things we didn't even anticipate that were forced upon us where we had to go through something uncomfortable and risk it, and realize this is a defining moment of my life, is what Bill Hybels will refer to that as. I remember when we were going through the loss of our son. Many of you know the story, and, and the pain and the hurt that came with that. Never worship, wish it on anyone. But it was in that moment where God used that time to do things we never anticipated. And we got to see a Wiccan witch surrender her, not abort her child and name their child after our son because she read about his story online. We saw countless people surrender their life to Jesus, people I'd known my whole life. It's those defining moments that shape us. That's what we do when we realize the time is now, not tomorrow, not next Christmas, not a decade from now. Now is the time to do something. And believe me, there are times I need to stop and slow down and just hear from the Lord and just be with him. And there are times where I need to pray and just wait on him. And then there are times where the star appears in the sky and I don't have time to talk about it anymore. I got to go. And I got to invest. Because this life is short. It's here one day and it's gone the next that's the reality. A pastor in Oklahoma named Craig Rochelle. he gives a, a great message about if you had 30 days to live, what would your life look like? And he had three things he took away from the Bible. Number one, he would turn when into now. He wouldn't talk about it anymore. He would turn when into now. Now is the time. If I only had a short time to live. Number two, he would turn intentions into actions. I wouldn't just talk about calling that person or praying for that person. I would actually do it. I wouldn't talk about serving somebody in need. I would actually do it. And then he turned his whole heart, his whole heart to Jesus. And that's the part that really hit me. Because I've been pastor for a while now. we have seen God do all this with the church. And I'm laying there in a the bed after coming out of anesthesiology and having a vital, vital organ removed from my body. And I remember just sitting there going, how many, how many days, years, months? Well, you know, how long do we get? We don't know a funeral for a, a 24-year-old. God, what are you going to do? It's here one day, gone on the next. Use my life. I'm going to turn when now and I'll give you my whole, my whole heart. I want to challenge you, church, and invite you. Darren talked about it last week and you have a card in your program this morning. It looks like this. Last week, this is going to be in there. And we define uh, oikos as the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence, the Greek word for household. And I just want to challenge you to join me over the next 21 days from now until January 1st. I want you to write down those that should be on this card. And I just want to invite you to pray with me. Pray for the people on that card. I'm not joking. Like there should be a pen or pencil in, in the book rack in front of you. If you don't find one, we got some out there. Get one from the purse next to you, something. Fill out those eight to fifteen, and I want you to say the time is now. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to pray not because I'm better than these people, but because I love these people and I'm just like them. I'm going to pray that God would change lives. And then I want to challenge you to one other thing. As you're praying, I want to invite you to fast. Some of you have never done this before. Fasting is giving up something where it causes you to rely on God for that thing that you are missing Jesus fasted from food for 40 days in the desert Some of you may not be trying that one, but you can fast from more than just food But over the next 21 days you might commit to fasting from something. Maybe it's social media Praise the Lord or maybe it is your television or maybe it is from movies or maybe some of you are like I'm gonna fast from cleaning. That's what I'm gonna do. The Lord told me you hear that, honey I don't know what it is, whatever that is going to be, fast from it, and I want you to count on the Lord, and when you miss that thing, I want you to say, God, reach these people, I love these people, may you invest in them, may we grow them up in the faith, may they come to know you and live a mission for you, and then I want you to pray even farther than that. We're, we announced at the first of this year that we were starting a church planting network called Multiply Indiana, there are now four churches involved, we play planted Hope City Church, Um, just this fall. It's doing fantastic. You're reaching a lot of new people. And we're going to be planting Echo Church this next year and probably at least one or two others. We're going to plant at least two to three next year. And this church planting network is a separate 501c3. You can check it out at multiplyindiana.com. There are now four churches involved. And our goal is to have it be a complementary network to work with other great national church planting networks that are out there with the sole purpose of resourcing church plants coming to Indiana. And so we want to plant as many churches in the state of Indiana as we can before we die. And I want you to pray and fast with me the next 21 days that that would occur. And we've committed 100% of our end of your giving campaign above and beyond our regular gifts and ties to multiply Indiana, start new churches. We're trying to raise $100,000. It seems insane and you guys, last week we announced somebody gave another $10,000 matching grant, and you, uh, just blow me away with your generosity. We have raised over $8,000 of that already bringing our total to almost $40,000. And usually this comes in like the last week. And so I just want to thank you guys. It's incredible. Thank you so much for your generosity. If you want to give any little bit at all, we'll have our pod devices at the doors on the way out. You can do 100% of that. We'll go right to plant churches. And you go, why do we need to plant churches? There are plenty of churches. The reality is over 80% of people in our area will not attend a church service this weekend. Over 60% of them will never step foot into any church facility The fastest form of evangelism throughout the last 2,000 years has always been new churches because it forces you, the statistics are true, they're still true today, it forces you to go out, find people that don't have a church home, say, hey, you want to start a church with me? And you won't believe the people that come to Christ as you do that. And so we don't just need to plant one church or some churches. We could double the number of the churches, and we still would only be reaching 40% of the community. And so we believe nobody's too far from God experienced experience life change through Jesus. The church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The God who created each and every single person for a reason and a purpose, and there are sleeping giants in the faith, in our oikos and our sphere of influence just waiting to be awakened to the reality of Jesus. That's what drives us. And so the third and final thing I just want to share with you according to Matthew chapter two about how to have the best Christmas ever is to allow Jesus Christ to totally wreck your life. This isn't new to some of us at this church. You see, in this passage, it goes on in verses nine to 12. And the magi get to do what they set out to do and they think everything's going well, that they're going to get to worship the king. It says this in verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. God's showing off now, here's my son. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Here's a cool part, I love this part. These pagan guys from the East that were so intelligent, they allowed their scientific discovery to pursue this moment in time and they don't just come and give some gifts, it says that they worshiped him. You don't worship something that you haven't submitted to. In this moment, the first uh, first Christmas led even these learned pagan men from the East to discover faith in God through Jesus Christ. And they gave gifts because of it. It says that then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. You know the story, verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, to return to their country by another route. See, here's what hit me this week. I've heard this, and I've always talked about the three gifts and all that, and it's a great message. But what I, I, I learned was that these men, they risked it. They realized they had to do it now. And when they got there, it didn't really help their life. And I don't know why we tell some people sometimes, uh, give your, your life to Jesus Christ, and then everything's going to be great in your life, and it's all going to be perfect. It doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out that way these men will now have to flee for their lives. They have to take the long way home. They're going to be separated from their families even longer, whoever at least is back there to the east. They have to take the long way home. And it goes on in verses 13 to 18 in Matthew chapter 2. It's not just them. Joseph and Mary, they have to get up and they have to flee because Herod's going to come and kill all the kids in that town. And they have to flee to Egypt. Didn't help their life. It made their life harder. Got a couple of teenagers now living away from home in Egypt, scared to death for their life often talk about Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, men and women of God who see God show up. He makes the sun stand still. He parts the Red Sea, baby. He takes two of every animal and puts them on the prehistoric Titanic and lets them out to sail on the sea and protects them on the water all the days of the flood, right? We hear all the great stories and we ask God and we pray for those and God shows up and does miraculous things. But then you get to verse 35 in Hebrews chapter 11. Read it on your own time. It says that others of them live destitute, they lived in caves and they scared for their lives or sawed in two and killed for their faith. We don't get to choose the outcome of our life. We get to choose faithfulness or not. And so I've never seen somebody who had God show up in a powerful way in their lives without allowing him to just wreck it first. Saul is on the road to Damascus to pull Christians out of their homes and imprison them. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen three chapters earlier. In Acts chapter 9, he's on the road. He encounters the risen Jesus, and it just totally wrecks his life. He goes blind for a while, and he has to run to the wilderness for years. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Everything he stood for, his entire reputation gone, because now he's a follower of Jesus. Spends the rest of his life going throughout the Roman Empire, and will end up dying, most likely, in a prison cell on house arrest in Rome. John the Baptist paved the way for all of Jesus' ministry, and he's rewarded for it by having his head cut off and served on a silver platter for a pretentious woman at a party. You get to choose the outcome of your life. We don't get to choose it. We get to choose whether we're faithful or not. And I will tell you this, you will never see God do the things you desire to risk it, to realize the time is now if you don't allow him to fully wreck your life first. My favorite passage in all Scripture: is 2 Corinthians 5.17 It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Paul talks in Romans about the new self, the metamorphosis that occurs when you encounter Jesus Christ. The Greek word for conversion in the Bible is metanoia, and I share that with you because I want you to understand metaphysically what's going on here. It's not, as we often think, that you discover you're living one day like a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon. You discover Jesus, and he changes your life, and now you're this beautiful butterfly. The reality is, a closer understanding of this is that you were a little caterpillar. You went into your cocoon, you discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you came out a roaring lion, He changed everything in your life. The old is gone, the new has come. And it's only when he wrecks and ruins the lives of those in scripture and even today that we get to see the fruit and the great faithfulness of what he will do in our lives. And so my message to myself and to each of us here, for the wealthy business people in the room, if we don't reorient our lives and say everything I've been entrusted with is just to see how God can further his kingdom, lead those to Christ, we're going to miss it. If we don't go, man, I have the super talented people in the room that you don't go, man, God has gifted me in this way so that I could actually invest it and change people's lives for eternity. For those of you that are mediocre. If we don't go, God can use me right where I am. He took 12 uneducated guys and changed the world for all of human history with it. I'm gonna miss out on everything. The most important thing is not my abilities, but whether or not Jesus Christ has wrecked and ruined my life so God could show up more and more and more. The time, the clock is turning, friends, and we only get so many times on this planet, so much time on this planet. We're here one day and we're gone the next. What are you gonna do this Christmas season? to invest in your oikos, to pray for new churches throughout the state of Indiana. A group of pagan astronomers discover the birth of Jesus and worship him, and it's the only thing that people will remember for all of human history about him. What are people going to remember about you and about me? And I will tell you this, there are some faithful people in this room right now that they're gonna remember that Jesus is real and he is living and he is active and he is changing lives and he's ministering to the broken and the socioeconomically downtrodden. and they're seeing, discovering racial reconciliation and we're discovering new life with Christ and we're living and we're changing families and we're seeing marriages heal and we're seeing God work. So why can't we take the card? I'm gonna write my names on it. I'm gonna pray for this people and I'm gonna trust that the power that created the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything in it loves these people people more than I will ever love them. And he will see them discover new life. The old will be gone. The new will come. And one day I'll get to learn from them. I'll get to learn from them as God speaks through them to me. That's how God works in each of us. Will you allow Jesus Christ to wreck your life this Christmas, just so you can simply go and worship the King? Will you pray with me? God, I mean, I didn't almost die the last two weeks. God, I just had an organ removed, but I, I know some people in here who have gone through a lot worse and are much more aware of how short this life is. And I don't want to waste it. God, we declare to you as a church family, we don't want to waste it. We don't want to waste the time that you've given us, the life that you've given us. We don't want to waste even this Christmas season so some of us, God, if you were a Christian and you would like to commit to praying for the next 21 days for your oikos, for your sphere of influence, and to pray for new churches, to pray for Multiply Indiana, pray this with me. God, we surrender these next 21 days to you. We pray we invest ourselves in worshiping you and hearing from you more than we ever have, ever in our entire lives. And God, as we do that, may you use what little faithfulness that we have change our world, to impact those we love. Thank you for this life that you have given us. And then for some of us in the room, we've been around church, we've known about you, God, we've heard people talk about you, but it's not until this moment where your Holy Spirit has begun to chip away some things in our lives, and we would like to surrender more than just a part of our lives, but allow you to wreck all of our life and surrender everything to you. We will no longer compartmentalize and keep you at church. We will allow you to infiltrate every aspect of our lives. If that is you here this morning, do not be shy or be ashamed or be afraid. The power of Jesus Christ will help you to live out what you're afraid to do. That may be the only legacy or the only story you ever get to live out that people are going to remember for decades and centuries and millennia to come, or until you return to you. So, if that's you, I want you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. Gotta confess that I need you. I want to leave a legacy with my life. Change me, convert me into what you desire for me. I surrender everything to you. And because of your death and resurrection, I can know you and live eternally with you. So I give my life to you, Jesus, here in this moment. Use me. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We give you our lives. We give you this church, God. We give you the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen.